Hey, everybody. Welcome to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. Very excited about today's episode. We've been running a series of, uh, we call them lectures. They're uh, con panels that happened at Terrificon just a couple weeks ago in Connecticut. And I was very fortunate to moderate several of these. But they felt more like college lectures. And that's why I've been framing these episodes as Word Balloon 101. Yes, classes in session. Uh, let's go through our hallways here. Oh, man. Who's that cute couple again? Both the guy and the girl. I don't understand. They're, they're perfect for each other. Of course they're dating. Yeah. Jeez. Um, today's episode is all about the psychology of Wolverine. And uh, it's a great episode. I'm really excited about this discussion that I got to moderate between Roy Thomas, one of the people involved with the creation of Wolverine. I know Herb Trimpey, Len Wein. Uh, but Roy was also part of the birth of Wolverine, and he explains his role. And we also discussed the psychology of Wolverine with Dr. Susanna E. Flores, a psychologist who just wrote a book called Untamed, The Psychology of Marvel's Wolverine. It's fantastic. It takes into account not only the comics, but also the movies as well. And she spoke to a lot of Wolverine creators and uh, delved into the various uh, circles of psychology, psychology that Logan represents. We talk about his origin, we talk about his motivations, the loves of his life. Uh, it's a very fun discussion uh, about Wolverine in a very interesting way. And uh, Susanna wrote a tremendous book. I loved it. Can't recommend it enough. It is available at bookstores, and it's certainly available at Amazon, both digitally and as a paperback. Can't recommend it enough, and I can't recommend this conversation enough to whet your appetite. Looking into the mind of Logan... It's all about the psychology of Wolverine. Psych 101 on today's Word Balloon. It's all brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. It's the end of the month. Thank you, League, for your support as we go into Labor Day weekend. Uh, you help me out by uh, subscribing to Word Balloon and helping me with my labors here at the podcast. I, uh, I It's a labor of love, as you know. I love bringing these episodes to you. I love having these conversations, and I hope it entertains you. Uh, is the entertainment worth the price of a comic book every month? Is it worth a dollar a month even? If it is, and you've got the money to spare and you feel so motivated, I hope you consider subscribing to Word Balloon via Patreon at patreon.com slash wordballoon, or you can go to wordballoon.com and click on the Patreon ad. That will take you to my Patreon page. Now, the League of Word Balloon listeners are getting advanced uh, uh, access to a lot of these uh, Word Balloon 101 lessons. And uh, they've certainly got uh, the psych of uh, Wolverine already at their disposal. But uh, in addition to that, uh, a couple more episodes have been added for uh, the League to uh, get a listen to before everybody else. Lesson 4, Superman at 80. A great panel with Roger Stern, Jerry Ordway, Paul Kupperberg, and Pete Tomasi. Wonderful writers and artists of Superman that discuss their experiences with the Man of Steel. It was a fantastic discussion, and I'm very happy to share it with you. It will be coming in the weeks ahead here at Word Balloon, but uh, the League of Word Balloon listeners get the first uh, access to it. Also, the history of Marvel Cosmic with Roy Thomas and Jim Starlin. Tremendous discussion. I haven't put a sample of it up uh, on uh, Instagram, Word Balloon's Instagram at Word Balloon, and also on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, really good behind-the-scenes Marvel conversation. Um, and in addition to that, they also got access to... Uh, some of the other lessons that we've been doing. For instance, the uh, Black Panther panel, which is uh, also being released today, featuring Don McGregor, Christopher Priest, Afua Richardson, and Bob Allman. Also, uh, the DC Romance Comics of the 1960s, a great conversation between writer Paul Kupperberg and editor-writer Barbara Freelander, 
who uh, ran several of the romance titles from the mid to late 60s. So uh, some really great stuff that has been available to uh, the League of Word Balloon listeners. Consider it. I appreciate the support. Thank you very much, League. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. There's a ton of Wolverine books that are waiting for you at InStock Trades. You can get things reaching back to uh, wonderful trades like Enemy of the State, the Ultimate Collection trade paperback. Mark Miller, John Romita Jr., Kari Andrews, tremendous collection. Love this story. It ended with uh, Wolverine Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but this was the start. This was back when Marvel Knights had its own Wolverine title, and uh, Mark had the first crack at it with John Jr. Tremendous book, 42% off, $17.39. You can also get the Wolverine Origin trade paperback with new packaging. This is the classic story that was told by uh, Paul Jenkins and Joe Casada, and also Andy Kubert. Uh, Richard Eisenhove also uh, helping out on that. 42% off, $9.85. You can get Wolverine Weapon X, trade paperback volume 2, Insane in the Brain. Uh, that was by Jason Aaron and Yannick Paquette. 42% off, $11.59. Lots of Daniel Way's run on Wolverine uh, Origins and Dark Wolverine at uh, reduced prices. Uh, you can get Old Man Logan, written by Mark Miller and Steve McNiven. 42% off, $17.39. There's uh, Wolverine, the best there is. The premium and hardcover of Contagion, featuring Charlie Houston and Juan Jose Rip in this volume. Uh, 42% off, that's $14.49. Um, there's just a ton of Wolverine that you'll be able to find. There's uh, Wolverine, the best there is. Uh, Quarantine, another uh, Charlie Houston collection. This is uh, 42% off, $14.49. And then uh, Jason Aaron did that team-up of Spider-Man and Wolverine, Astonishing Spider-Man and Wolverine with Adam Kubert Art. 42% off, $11.59. The tip of the iceberg of Wolverine product waiting for you at InStockTrades.com. Don't worry, if your orders are $50 or more, you'll receive free shipping. They make it easy for you. You'll find great books at great prices at InStockTrades.com. All right, everybody take your seats, and we will uh, get our discussion going. Dr. Susanna Flores, Roy Thomas, discussing the psychology of Wolverine now on Word Balloon. Everybody having fun so far at Terrificon? Yeah! Excellent. Fantastic. Don't go by this. <laughs> My name is John Suntress. I host a podcast called Word Balloon, and one of our panelists has actually been on the podcast, but I'm very excited to be here today for John Cimino, the Migo Stretch Hulk, presenting The Psychology of Wolverine. And uh, this is going to be great because uh, let's get really into the psychology, the psychoses of Logan, a very complicated character that uh, started with this gentleman, uh, Roy Thomas, a legendary comic book writer and editor who was Stan Lee's first successor as, as editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics. He's known for co-creating some of comics' greatest characters, such as Wolverine, Carol Danvers, Morbius, Division, Iron Fist, and Ultron. He introduced the pulp magazine heroes Conan and Red Sonja, along with the sci-fi fantasy Star Wars, to Marvel Comics. How about that? Also, uh, Roy has had lengthy writing stints on Marvel's X-Men and Avengers, and at DC Comics, the All-Star Squadron, and Infinity Incorporated, among many other titles, books, and a couple of movies, like Fire and Ice. Big fan. 
Yeah. Right? You're the guy that saw that, right? I got it on DVD. Come on, man. Yeah. In, uh, in 2011, he was inducted into the Will Eisner Comic Book Hall of Fame and currently edits the comic history magazine that I get every time there's a new issue, Alter Ego, and also works with Stan Lee on the Spider-Man newspaper strip. Mr. Roy Thomas, ladies and gentlemen. And also joining us, and forgive me, psychiatrist or psychologist? Psychologist. Psychologist, thank you. I know there's a distinction. Yeah, if I could prescribe medications, I'd be way more popular. We'll have to talk about that. <laughs> All right, that's good to know. <laughs> who, who wrote The Psychology of Wolverine? Dr. Susanna Flores. So, Dr. Flores. So this is, man, uh, I think you picked a pretty complex person, character, to, to write a book about Suzanne. So Susanna, so tell me, yeah, tell me about what intrigued you about writing a book about Wolverine. Well, to be um, very forthcoming, um, I, I, I was not raised a geek. I recently became one, and I'm in. Now that I'm in, I'm in. Um, cool. It, it occurred a, a few years ago um, to, uh, during a time when I was sexually assaulted. And I'm putting it out there because it's an important topic to talk about. And um, you know, a lot of people assume that psychologists that you know we don't experience the same level of trauma as other people just because we understand human behavior. And I'm here as witness to tell you that is absolutely not the case. Um, during that time, it was very uh, difficult for several reasons, not just the trauma, but also um, the judgment from society and they experience firsthand how people love to blame the victim. And I just felt numb. I think that was the worst part, is the numbing. Because before then, I was like South Side of Chicago girl. I was in a top, opinionated, in your face if I needed to be, and I lost myself completely. Um, and then I ran across a panel of um, Wolverine from the Dark Phoenix Saga, where the Hellfire Club. And he's in the gutter, and he's covered in dung, and he um, beaten in battle. And uh, still, he had his, you know, adamantium claws out, right? And then I, it was the sneer, right? The sneer, you know, <laughs> of I'm going to get them back, right? Like, you've taken your best shot, suckers, and now it's my turn. And something just kept bringing me back to that panel. Like, I, you know, put it away. I think I saw it at a comic book store. Like, I just saw it, and then come back. And I said, okay, there's something here, like some mythological pool. Or something because obviously I don't believe in coincidences in, in, in terms of inspiration. So I, I looked at like, okay, who is this guy? And of course we we know some things with the movies or so, but I, I did not I was not that familiar with the character. And then the more I researched, the more I realized, wow, like okay, that panel of him and the gutter, that was me. I was there. And sorry. Sometimes it just so hits. Um, trauma has a way of sneaking up on you sometimes. It just, you know, when people say, like, when are you completely healed? I'm like, anything, no. <laughs> but, um, you know, so he was raw and he was damaged, and so was I. And uh, from then on, when I researched him, I realized that he, he, I think people think that he's a very simple character, and he actually is very complex because he, mirrors our realities in so many different ways. And in this case, for me, he represented the need that I had to get angry. Like, not just a little angry. Pissed off. Like, mutants pissed. Yeah. Okay, and I, I went off on whoever I needed to go 
go off on. And it was a matter of me proclaiming my truth, and I needed to fight back. And I was not going to win a legal battle, and I didn't care. It was a matter of I am going to make this as painful <laughs> as I can or prolong it because I am proclaiming my truth. And win or lose, that's what Wolverine taught me, is that sometimes in life things are not okay, and we um, have to listen to our anger to remind us of you know, um, who we are and what we stand for, and that's not to be compromised. And um, learning to live with post-traumatic stress myself, uh, the disorder myself, while treating patients and just realizing that just like Wolverine, we're all perfectly imperfect. We're all damaged in some way. And um, so that was the beginning. Wow. Now, Roy, when you... I can't follow that. <laughs> well, I want to take it back to the beginning because now Len, Len Wein and Herb Trippi did the first story in art. Mm -hmm. But I know that uh, the, the concept of Wolverine began with you, and I want to hear that story. But when you hear that, because so much has been built uh, from the foundation of where the character started, were you thinking about a psychologically damaged character when, when you were conceiving Wolverine? No, no, I, 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 I mean, I'll take whatever credit I feel, you know, I'm deserved, and I don't want, you know, and I owe him more. Uh, all the heavy lifting on the character, uh, you know, after its basic concept was done first by, well, John Romita designing a costume okay, sure. earlier. Uh, Len is the writer that I asked to, to do it, because he, he had the Hulk roaming around. I thought it would be easy for him to get up to Canada and to do a story there, which he did very quickly. And, uh, and of course, then Herb Trippi is the artist who actually had to take that one drawing or so of Wolverine and make it. He just later on, other people added. Dave Cochran brought in like a face, because you know John Romita didn't design a face on him. And, and Cochran used the face of another character who I guess had been called the Wolverine that he had showed me before. It had no connection with the thing I did. It was some character he had made up for DC. For the Legion of Superheroes, yeah, is yeah, that correct? Yeah, it meant nothing to me because uh, you know, I mean, I knew what a wolverine was since I was like five, you know, I was always interested in animals. And, uh, and also I thought about, well, I'll tell you what happened. What happened is that uh, we were doing all these books. This was, I guess, 74, not too long before I quit as editor-in-chief. And it suddenly occurred to me one day that you know, we, had, we had, I don't know, 5%, 10%, whatever of our readers, you know, uh, certainly several percent were up in Canada. You know, they, they read English, they, uh, you know, they were there close, they got some more comics. And, you know, we should have a Canadian character. I had already made up for X-Men, um, with, with artists, of course, uh, the Banshee and Sunfire, you know, with Irish and, and, and Japanese backgrounds. But I thought, you know, we should have a Canadian character. So I called Len in, and I said, you know, if Len hadn't been available or, you know, something, or somebody else was writing the Hulk, he would have been the person or whatever. But Len was like, you know, one of the, couple of very best, you know, writers in comics, so it worked out very well that way. And I called him up and, and I brought him in and said, just four things. I, I, his name's Wolverine. I thought about calling him Badger. You know, I want an animal that lives up in Canada. You know, what am I going to call him? You know, the moose? You know? Don't, don't let Mike Barron hear you say that it was awful yeah, to call him so, the Badger. And yeah. ba well, but what, what finally decided was not, I didn't remember the, the, uh, the name of, you know, the character that, uh, uh, Dave had, but the um, the thing is that, or else I wouldn't have thought of the badger. But the thing is that 
the, a badger, you know, as a verb, it just sounds like somebody's annoying you. You're badgering somebody. It doesn't have that right sound, even though the badger's a very fierce creature. And wolverine, it, nobody knew what that was either. John Romita said that when he, when he saw the name, he thought it was a female wolf, that he had to look it up in his dictionary encyclopedia. But, uh, uh, but I liked it because it sounded like wolf. You know, anything that sounds like wolf, wolf sure. is a good word you oh, know, yeah. for a character. So wolverine was good. So I just said, I want him to call the Wolverine. You know, they dropped the the later, but that was the original thing. And he was Canadian. And Len had done uh, Brother Voodoo, a char another character concept of mine, a little not quite as memorable as Wolverine. And uh, uh, and I liked the way he had done the accent for that character, the Haitian, Haitian character. Of course, he gave him a Jamaican accent, but it still is an accent. <laughs> so I said, you can do a Canadian accent, you know, and so forth, which I guess meant putting the word A at the end. <laughs> but, and the other two things, which Len kind of forgot, and then he sort of rediscovered the wheel by Len himself, but I told him, I said, he's got to be short, because I, you know, Wolverine's a small animal. Uh, which I, I like, because all the heroes are all six foot something tall, and I, I wanted a hero that was shorter, same height as me, say, or something, you know, there weren't that many of those. So, uh, and the other was that he would be very fierce, because the Wolverine was noted for attacking animals several times in size, and, and with that I set it off to Len, and everything else was either done by Len, with the artist, or else a little later, after just a couple of stories by Len, by uh, Chris Claremont, who really developed the character the most, I, I forget, you know, myself whether it's Len or what. So some of them gave him the Adam. The, the, I didn't tell him give him claws specifically, or let him let alone adamantium claws. Okay. I'm happy he did, since I had also created adamantium, so it was nice. Oh, but, but that was strictly either Len or, or Chris, and it was probably Chris in conjunction with uh, Dave Cockrum originally, and later John Byrne, but especially with uh, the early days with Cockrum that developed that character out to what he really became, the breakaway star of the, uh, the X-Men, and one of Marvel's, you know, I'm happy to say, even though I don't own a piece of him or anything, one of Marvel's, you know, handful of most popular characters. But, you know, as I said, it was other people that did it all. I just sort of, my job was to kind of get things going. It wasn't even to create characters, but once in a while when I had an idea, I would either do it myself or get somebody else to do it, and that was, Basically, but I'm afraid that, you know, it would, uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, Len and her were no longer with us, but, uh, you know, uh, they were the ones that, you know, really got it, go, got it going. It is interesting that, as you say, it started from a Dave Cockrum drawing for the Legion of Superheroes. So there is Timberwolf, who's very similar to Wolverine, yeah, but doesn't hold a camera. I don't, I don't think it started from that drawing at all. Oh, okay. But I, I just think he did it first. I saw but, it. And I saw it, but I saw about 10 characters. Okay. And as I said, when I started from the thing, I started to think of just animals, and I thought of Wolverine and Badger and Moose and maybe a couple other animals. But what Dave did that, that later was, when, when Wolverine takes off his mask, sort of, he gave him the head, I think, that he had had for the civilian version of Wolverine, but of course that had nothing to do with his creation because you know uh, he didn't have that. Then. But that's the thing, you know. Uh, you start creating things. You, some characters have one creator. Bill Everett created the Submariner. Nobody else. Probably Carl Burgess created Human Torch. Yep. I sort of say Bob Kane and Batman, but you know that isn't true. But anyway, <laughs> and our Dr. Bolton and uh, Wonder Woman, that's not true. But, uh, you know, a few things have one creator, sure. but mostly they, often they have two, or, or in the case of some, four or five or, or six. And with Wolverine, you'd have to have at least three or four before you could even 
I, I got annoyed when they, I think they left Herb Trippi's name off of the, oh, off the Logan movie. They yes. had, don't get it. I was really annoyed. Because Absolutely. Because the guy who did, but, and yet when they've got Luke Cage on Netflix, they give George Tuska a credit, and, and his, his role in Luke Cage would have been exactly what hers was. Sure. The characters had one drawing. And you know, and then yeah. do that story from a plot, you know. So, Absolutely. But you know, they do the best they can with these credits. You know, it's hard to, and you know, it's hard to figure out who did it because if you ask, you know, everybody did it. You know. <laughs> well, and it was a group effort, and in fact, because of that, there was always this mystery about Wolverine, and for decades. That was part of the intrigue of Wolverine was mm -hmm. he didn't know his background, mm -hmm. and we didn't know his background. Mm -hmm. And uh, Suzanne, I want to uh, I, I know from you as well, um, because I love the book. I read the book, and it's, it's fantastic, because it really is a hand-in-hand -hand examination of Wolverine's personal psychoses, but reflected through the comics and in the films. And, um, you know, Paul Jenkins was given the, the assignment back in two, the early 2000s to do the origin story, mm -hmm. and that was very controversial, and I remember the controversy, and I've even interviewed Paul about said controversy as well. So, um, you know, well, both of you, and, and Susanna, we'll start with you first, was it helpful that there was a clear origin? Because again, for us, a lot of times as the fans, the, real, the, the mystery was always part of the entry. So. I'm very grateful that the origin story was written because as a psychologist, we always go back to the childhood. Where did it We're start? Like, Tell me about your mother. Right? <laughs> <laughs> or in this case, um, the absent, the emotionally absent mother, um, which led to what we call complex trauma, you know, where you are repeatedly uh, either ignored or ne neglected by a primary parent and um, your self-esteem is, of course, affected, your sense of trust, um, your, your fear of vulnerability. This is probably sounding very familiar, right? Um, the uh, need to distance yourself from people when, you, when they get too close, that is complex trauma. And the dissociation, the, the memory loss, we call that dissociative amnesia. Um, so we had a name for all of these things, but everything began to make sense. And so Paul Jenkins was one of the first people, was the first person that I interviewed um, I got connected with him uh, through a friend, uh, Elias Serrano, King of Peaks of Chicago. Oh, I know Elias. And uh, so he and I started talking about why we were both drawn to Wolverine, and uh, the answer was simply uh, pain. We both experienced, you know, um, pain in some way, again, who hasn't? And uh, so I just did want to share that interesting uh, part because he was very kind and very supportive, and he said, so you're sharing your story? And I was like, <gasps> <laughs> like the psychologists are not supposed to do that, and he said it humanizes you, and um, it's it's um, literature and, and reality in the sense that Wolverine is afraid of vulnerability, and right now you need to conquer yours. And I said, okay, I will if you will. And he had his own story, and he's like, oh, you know. So we kind of agreed um, to share our, our stories there. So yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful the origin story existed because it added to the explanation of why Logan is the way that he is, you know, and also why perhaps he's attracted to redheads, right? Rose O'Hare, right? Um, and why um, he goes after that me. Huh? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, why uh, he goes after perhaps the unattainable, it's safer. Right, so if, uh, we, we can get to the women. Yeah, I intend to get to the women. women. Absolutely, and, and, yeah. Um, what each of them represents. Sure. So, Roy, when, when uh, and again, also as an editor, and these pieces of Wolverine's mm -hmm. history were, were added to, you know, the, the story and everything, mm -hmm. was, you know, 
Was it great that he was a man of mystery? Was it great when they finally decided to... Uh... Well, you have to remember, by the time the Wolverine comic came out, and then six months, a year later, the, uh, the giant-sized X-Men, which was like his next... So Mary, Miller, I thought, yeah, Miller I was Claremont. Right, okay. Yeah, I had left being editor-in-chief, and although I almost came back, I ended up not. So basically, that was really you know, out of my hands. I, okay. I paid for, you know, I, I, I only, uh, I read a bunch of X-Men back in about 1983 or so, when uh, my then writing partner in movies, Jerry Conway, and I were writing an X-Men movie script for Orion that never got made, and, and the, the, the people that were doing it, they, they wanted to change it in ways that, you know, I didn't think were right, but they did, they were smart enough to keep Wolverine in it anyway. Uh, so then at that time I went back and was reading the material by, that had been drawn by Cockerman, the early burn, and, and, and I, I read that and so forth, and, you know, I found they had really done some nice things with that, uh, with that character, and, and it's interesting to see, of course, that I would, sporadically I would see that somebody was doing something weird, like, you know, like, Frank Miller with his the taking him to Japan yes, and all that yes. it became the base of what the second of the Wolverine movies and so forth. Indeed. But it was interesting that you know you, you know you got a good character I guess uh, that uh, we all it made up together out of pieces when it's open to that kind of interpretation because all these characters I think I guess Batman may be the supreme example uh, they all became they're all like Rorschach tests or blots you know they you know eventually you've got. You get enough writers and enough artists, and everybody wants to have his own interpretation. And if the editors allow that, encourage it, and the audience encourages it, as they have in recent years, you're gonna. Sometimes it gets a little weird. Like I think it's like there are at least 15 or 20 Batmans now that would not even recognize each other in the same room. I sometimes think <laughs> Wolverine. I think is, and I, I this is the approach I prefer. I think is always Wolverine, right. and and there's been a respect for what the character was, and it's built up. But, it's, but thank heaven, they haven't yet yielded, as far as I know, to the temptation. The usual temptation is, is for the, the egotistic creator to come in and say, everything you know about character X is wrong, but I'm here to tell you what it really is like. You know, when you do that, you know you're in the, in the presence of an egotistical idiot who will not be telling you the definitive anything, but he may still do some good work. <laughs> I love also, and, and we will get into the women, but as far as the Howlett family, uh, Sabretooth's role mm -hmm. in, in Wolverine's formation of his character and the mind tricks that Sabretooth over the years has been playing with Wolverine. It, I'm your father, I'm your brother. A lot of you know, Very, very, uh, and now I'm blanking, uh, Chinatown. <laughs> if you I just saw the movie, so I'll let her come. Um, I, I think in terms of that formation, a lot of it had to do with Paul Jenkins and his brother. And Interesting. So, yeah, yeah, that's a little wow. premium, right? And uh, so we started talking about the nature versus nurture argument. You know, how could two brothers that grow up in a relatively, you know, uh, similar household end up so different? And again, I don't want to divulge too much, but um, he just remembered that you know, his family struggled financially and they were always at the bottom of the hill. You know, and uh, so he switched certain genders, like his, you know, the grandfather, the surly grandfather was actually his grandmother, um, and, you know, other things, but it talked about, you know, feeling like an outcast, and feeling like a reject, and feeling like you have to prove yourself, and the psychological toll it took on two brothers, and how they ended up in different places, and I, so I, that's when I told him, Paul, you have to let me share this, you must let me share this, you have to, and uh, I'm glad he did. 
that's excellent. This can be a group therapy session, so if, if you would like to chime in with questions as we're discussing, I'm, I'm happy to open it to the floor as well, or, we, or the three of us can talk. So seriously, consider that as, as, we, uh, as we move on. Uh, but also, I, I, all right, so we, we mentioned briefly uh, Logan's women. Yes. The women that fascinate Logan, the women, both the attainable and the unattainable. Yes. And that, again, great, great part of your book is you kind of go down from Rose to Jean and uh, Eureka, as I always get her name wrong. I said, Mariko is, uh, I keep her, get confusing her with um, the other uh, Japanese y character. Yuriko. Yeah, Yuriko and everything. But yeah, so ta yeah, talk about, talk about uh, the loves of Logan. Okay, the many, many, many loves of Logan. So I, I talk about um, triangulated love, and uh, not to be confused with love triangle. Um, so it, it talks about like how you need you know like love you know trust and commitment and uh, and sex of course right and and so you know I had to do an analysis of what each character meant and I knew it was going down a, a dangerous road right because you know it was like okay picking who is the love of his life is it Jean or is it Mariko and I make an argument that you know, in many ways Jean represents his strength she's a fellow mutant the most, I mean, arguably, you know, one of the most powerful mutants. And so I think she represents his strength and, um, and his mutation, but I think Mariko represents his vulnerability and um, his um, willingness um, to, to uh, ex experience that in order to, to better himself. Like, she makes him want to be a better man. And so there's a difference between infatuated love Right, I'm, I'm not, in my book, I don't say like he doesn't love her. He loves her. He loves Jean. Yes, but it's an infatuation. It's it's a love that has not come to fruition. And you do wonder like if these two actually did hook up, right? Would they last? And I, I think Jean is a very like rational, reasonable person. That's why she chooses Scott because Logan is not a safe bet. You know, like you know, he's either gonna hurt you. You know, or he's going to stab you in the bedroom accidentally. You know, <laughs> and so um, you know, he, he's he's a little bit of a liability, sure. and uh, she understands. And four plays fine. <laughs> that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. You know, if, if it's a you know short-term thing, no problem, right? And I think there's always been chemistry between them. Like there's oh, yeah. always been that connection. Um, but I think she she makes a decision based on her head instead of her heart, and. Um, you know, so yeah, she's very near and dear. And in terms of the movies, I, I you could see that he was just never the same after, um, you know, that Gene character died. And so, but I think that he finds new life through Monica. Roy, you know, I'm glad you mentioned the movies because, as you say, when when the character was originally created, he was meant to be this small, little, unattractive guy. And, and didn't have yet. He didn't and have to be attractive. He just had well, to be mean. But yeah, all right, small mean guy. There yeah, you go. Yeah. More of a more, and I, and I know you're a pulp guy. More of a Monk Mayfair. Yeah. Than a Doc yeah. Savage. And I think so. a little of me had in mind uh, a, a favorite character. He was a minor character at DC, but a character I always loved as a kid, probably because I was small. Uh, the Atom. Sure. Of the Justice Society, who later did become atomic powered. He was always a tough, and he was always a tough, mean kind of guy. He wore this kind of leather. These leather pants, you know, brown leather pants. Yeah. It was like a girdle almost, and you know, he didn't have any power, but he was a mean little guy. There was well, trained this, by a boxing yeah, trainer yeah, and everything. There was a, and so forth. And of course, I didn't really know that when I was growing up. I was just he just appealed because he was okay. small and strong, you know, and everything. And and, and the other favorite character of mine, uh, 
uh, another one that I used to play it being when I was a kid was Doll Man. Sure. Who, now he was like eight inches tall. You know, he's giant compared to at the later Adam. But, of the Freedom you know, Fighters and, and, people and the, the Doll Man character and things like this. But uh, so I didn't really, you know. But I, I, obviously Hugh Jackman is not alarmingly short. Yeah, let's talk really about that because then we get matinee idol Hugh Jackman. Hey, great Logan. Don't get me wrong. Right, right. I, I, I just quickly forgot the, the whole short thing. Wasn't that important? He's still smaller than a lot of the other X-Men. I mean, Colossus and these other, you know, some of these other characters. He's still not huge. And the size about it. Yeah, actually, I think he's kind of the you size, know, leading man no, six foot tall. Yeah. He's six two. Yeah, but the size, I mean, I've never met him. I don't know but if still you the guys size, have seen him on red carpet. important thing. That wasn't what you usually thought about. It was the size. It was sure. the fierceness, really. That, you know, you think of the size in connection with some characters, like Thor. But size isn't what you think of when you think of Wolverine, even if he's played by a six-foot guy. Tell about size. <laughs> I don't know. Have you have you enjoyed the X Men movies, Roy? Me? Yes. Yeah, mostly. Uh, you know, Apocalypse to me was like too much like a cartoon villain out of a Saturday morning cartoon. Disappointing. But I but I do generally like the uh, the movies. They're so complex. Sometimes it's, you know not if you're not a regular reader of the books, it's a little hard to follow. And then of course it's going to veer off in its own direction. But, you know, I'm not going to quibble with the, what was the real first Marvel superhero, you know, success and so forth, and, and the fact they've made a number of the movies, or with what, you know, Len, Chris, and the other guys did with it in the comics and so forth. You know, it's, it's an amazing accomplishment, and even after, what, the larger part of two decades, yeah. it's still a going, uh, going concern and uh, now leading to, you know, to, uh, to more things in the future. So I, I think it's it's great. I'm disappointed that we won't see yeah. Hugh Jackman's yeah. Logan yeah. interact with yeah. the Marvel Cinematic Universe because mm -hmm. that's a great opportunity. I can appreciate him feeling like, all right, it's time to go. Yeah. But, you know, Susanna, what do you what do you think of, because again, I'm glad that you explore both the comics and the films. Well, as I um, got into this world and, and started you know, the research, and then the first thought that occurred to me was like, I have like 40 years of research. Sure. And yeah. I'm like, what did I do? You know? <laughs> um, and of course, you know, I, I knew the, the movies first, but I, I experienced what a lot of uh, X-Men fans experience when they first see the movies. I'm like, wait, that's not right. And that's certainly not right. You know, you know my husband's like, stop. <laughs> It's not right, like it's incorrect or so. Um, I, I enjoy them too. I think Hugh Jackman definitely brought Wolverine, you know, and I, I, the, the aspect I think he brought best was the vulnerability. Like, um, he made Wolverine very likable and you, you, you cared about him. He, you felt compassion and empathy for him. And you, he, he really exemplified the suffering, you know, like how, how he is a tortured soul in many ways. Um, so no, I, I definitely enjoy the films. I agree about the apocalypse film, but um, I do. You're lucky the X-Men was canceled for a few years there, or else you'd had any more. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> Luckily, I had a lot of help. Any questions from the audience? Or we did, sir? How do you feel about Logan as a, as a bookend of that uh, portrayal of the character? Yeah, I'd like to hear. The continuation of that, um, that common theme of anyone who really gets close to him and anyone he loves, Come to a bad end. I thought the movie was superb. I loved the ending. Um, I cried like a baby um, because in order to write this book, I had to really imagine that this person was real. So he was real to me um, in order to write it. And to have that excruciating, very painful ending uh, was hard uh, for many of us. Um, I love that um, his 
the, the struggle continued, the inner conflict continued, and Magneto absolutely was still right <laughs> in many regards. The oppression is still there, and, and mutants are never seen as equals, and they're still hiding or or such. But um, you know, those that are the newer generation. But I think that um, my favorite part was the ending where. Everyone's seen it, right? I'm not going to be okay. Um, <laughs> Spoilers. Um, you know where he had to let that vulnerability go. Like he had to work through it. That is the whole. That's what he means to me. Is that it is um, resurrection, if you will, through through suffering. It is healing through suffering. And at that moment, he saw Laura, and he left her that legacy of don't become what they make you. And also he dies on his back from the blood of the Tarkin's hand. Which is very close to, um, yeah, yeah, it was uh, foretelling, right? Like, you know, there's blood everywhere, you have your heart in your hand, it was very beautifully done. I think the part that got me even more than the death itself was when Laura grabbed the cross and she, okay, choked them now. Um, she, she turned it over to an ex, you know, because he was the last X-Men yep. at that point in the funeral. Like, ah, oh, it's enough, right? Um, but it was true, he was. And that was more appropriate for him. I think the, the, the movie did it justice. I think that it, um, the, this, this long road that uh, Hugh Jackman had, it, he ended it beautifully, very beautifully. What do you think of the X-Men or the Wolverine movies, Roy? Uh, I liked all the movies. The, the, the last one was definitely the, probably the high point. Uh, I probably don't quite remember it as, as well, you know, maybe because as I saw it just as, as another movie, I enjoyed it. I was eating my popcorn, sitting there. Low. You know, I always go to theaters like, uh, I go in some like a Monday afternoon. I'm like the only, <laughs> it's almost like a private screening usually, even a popular movie. Uh, I enjoyed it tremendously. I thought it was a real, it was the first, uh, what, R-rated? Yeah, of, well, of, Dark Knight. Of, of the Marvel movies. Of the of Marvel, Marvel movies, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, yeah, and you're right, technically Deadpool, but. Yeah. You know, Fox, exactly, yeah. exactly. But uh, yeah, and uh, so you know, I thought that. So I, I like that. I guess they both are Fox. Right? I, I probably you know just uh, didn't you know don't remember it quite as well. And okay. I, I saw it. And I've seen a lot of movies since, but I, I intend to you know watch it again one of these days. I just haven't got around to it. But it was an e excellent movie. Stan always said that you know Stan Lee always leaned on the fact that you know mutants were. Uh, substitutions for minorities and some of the problems and yeah. stuff. Was that evident in, in the 60s and, and 70s? Nah. Yeah, honestly, Roy, and I appreciate you saying that because, truthfully, I, I mean, I'm glad that it grew I, into I, that. I, I'll tell you the thing, too. I think it was there from the beginning, but I doubt if, you know, Stan and, and Jack, because they both yeah. worked on the plot side, I, I doubt if they really ever consciously thought, except, of course, you know, it's the human condition, so you're naturally... You know, you, when you start building a character and you're trying to get human emotions, it's going to come out. And whether they actually physically thought, of, they did sort of think about the outsider. Now, I don't think, I don't think that they were necessarily thinking, of, you know, like that civil rights connections per yeah. se or something real close. But again, you know, it, it was still things were in the air. If they had created it two or three years later, probably they would have been more so. But, you know, it's, it's still something that they were aware of. And the whole idea of the outsider has been endemic to a lot of superheroes from Submariner and Batman right. from Batman on. And so they just took it and did it. I don't think that that was Stan's main motivation. 
but once he did his version of it, and once Jack started drawing and adding to the plot, and they all put it together, it was it was there from the start, and it had to be there to the start because already, but just about what three or four years in, when Stan was finished the run, they did they had he had they had re, it become conscious enough that they did the Sentinel storyline, which, as far as I'm concerned, is is almost the only really really good. Uh, X-Men stuff. I mean, I like the whole series, but uh, but the only thing that really, to me, stands out as really exceptional storyline in the entire series is, you know, that that Stan and Jack did before they turned it over to lesser lights like me. Is, uh, and, and believe me, I did kind of plunge for it. I'm concerned that because you know we didn't have the, the initial inspiration was the uh, the Sentinel storyline because by that time he'd realized that it was about. Uh, you know, uh, bigotry and things of that, and it was you know, uh, telling it was you know made very very clear in that story, and so which means that it was kind of partly there, and on the one hand, they kind of by then they'd sort of consciously recognized it and decided to really play with it, and and they really you know did it with a bang. That's cool, Susanna. What did, did you and, and and not to put you on the spot, given that he's right next to you, but have you read Roy's uh, run on uh, X Men, Roy and Neil? Um, Roy, Neil, uh, Roy and Neil Adams, uh, Roy, Roy Thomas and Neil Adams. They it didn't have Wolverine. I have to, yeah, they do not have Wolverine. Actually. Yeah, I, I don't think I have. Okay. Well, we, when I started out, it was just kind of imitating Stan and Jack, except without Jack, mm-hmm. and uh, that, that makes a difference, you know. Sure. And uh, uh, but it was still okay. But I don't think I was too inspired, nor were the couple of people who did it after me. The lucky thing that happened was that uh, Stan asked me to, the sales were, you know, they were kind of soft, and so he eventually asked me to come back. I guess they'd been a little better under me. And uh, just one issue after I brought it back, Neil Adams walked in the door and uh, said he'd like to do some, you know, awful, you know, some book that wasn't selling. And so I said, well, we got X, man. <laughs> Can you imagine? And, uh, Neil and I had, although he doesn't remember, we had met you know a couple times previously, but what at least once. But you know, I was you know I I'd seen his work, really liked it. We we got on like a house fire and things, and uh, you know I would sort of just give him a little direction and you know let him do whatever he, he wanted to do. I had some ideas, you know, he had more, and he would just do whatever he wanted to do, and we'd sort of tie it together. Go out to lunch. By the end of the lunch, we had some kind of story. You know, you know, and I think those issues, those now those issues. I'm not going to apologize for those. Those were good issues. Yeah, you know, and uh, for both for both of us. Truly, and I think they were rather influential on what happened later that I agree. Chris and and uh, the other people were doing, uh, and so forth in that sense. But you know, uh, if we'd done Wolverine, maybe we'd have done okay by it, but we never had a shot at it. You know, Ed Pisker. Everyone aware of uh, X Men Grand Design that Ed Pisker is doing. Ed Pisker, great uh, indie. Underground comic book artist who has been doing hip hop family tree, the history of hip hop music through comic books. He's been doing Grand Design, which really distills the X Men story in in very. Uh, it's it's just a few volumes, but it really is the highlights. And it's funny when you mention the Sentinels. I mean, it's things like that that Ed really focuses on. But I want to get back to Logan and also more of your questions. Are there are there other questions about uh, Sir in the front? Um, kind of a twofold question. I'm not sure how recent in your research for the book uh, you went, but there's the Old Man Logan book going on, and of course the Return of Wolverine, where he magically escaped adamantium. Um, did you go into the that at all with your research? What are your thoughts on the Old Man Logan storyline? And 
now apparently he's going back and they're going to kill him with that and that sort of thing. Well, a funny thing about that um, sort of trauma feeling. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, here's a funny story about um, Wolverine coming back. So the book was complete, and one of my friends called me and said, you have to read it. <laughs> and I was like, what? And he's like, don't turn it in until you read it. So I was like, okay. So then, you know, here I am. And I get to the end, I was like, Absolutely, yeah. And I, I'll be fair and honest to say, I think that the um, Xavier being responsible for the massacre makes more sense to me. Because I understand. Because he the power to do that. Like, you know, the, the, uh, the other X-Men were pretty powerful, too. I don't know if they could, you know, if Wolverine could wipe them all up, you know? So, Understood. Um, but, you know, just that notion of guilt and shame, um, you know, that lives within this, you know, character. And, um, you know, I remember a, a conversation with John Romita Jr., where he talked about you know his rage, and it occurred after 9/11, and um, he said that at that moment he wanted to be judge, jury, and executioner, and, and wanted whoever was responsible. You know, he's like loves New York, and no one's going to do this to New York, and you know. But he said you have to temper that, you know, with with um, with balance and grace because you can't. And he's like, but however Wolverine is, he is judge, jury, and executioner, and that's by far too much for one person to carry. And that, of course, leads credence to the old man Logan, you know, beginning where he's done. He doesn't want to do this anymore. I also like how, beyond the uh, Mark Miller's uh, miniseries, um, what they've done with old man Logan in, mm -hmm. in the more recent years, and that they are wrapping that up to allow modern day Wolverine to come back and everything. But I really enjoyed his role in the 616. And, and, and again, like you said, carrying that guilt and, and seeing a, an alternate universe where the damage hasn't happened yet, but it's almost like knowing that it could happen and that kind of responsibility. And I really, I, I understand why it's necessary to go back to modern Wolverine and I'm all for it, but I have to say, I really did enjoy Exploring Old Man Logan beyond Miller's. So you think they'll leave him in the comics? Then you think Barrel's no, not going to retire? No, I think I think uh, I think it's I think Lo Old Man Logan will will wrap up. Yeah, wrap up. Yeah. But so so they're so they're not, they're not going to let uh, Wolverine go the way of uh, Hugh Jackman. Probably. Well, they might as far as uh, how however they get rid of him. I I, I don't know. I'm, no, I, no. What I meant is but uh, what I meant is maybe no more be in the young comics figures. the same way that maybe there won't be another Wolverine oh. movies. But I, I think Marvel uh, kind of. Yeah. Hang on to him. You know that. Yeah. Come on, Roy. They can't get rid of the original. Come on, it's been facetious. You know, I, <laughs> but it, but, but isn't it? It is. It is fun because there is that wish fulfillment, and you have a character like Batman, where it's like, well, let Dick Grayson be Batman and stuff. And they've done it for for a moment. And Azrael certainly, and Danny O'Neill can speak to that. Obviously, Danny will be here by the way Sunday if you guys are here all weekend. So 
bend Denny O'Neill's here and, and find out about all that. But yeah, I mean, I mean, and that's why, as uh, with Infinity War, and every, uh, it's great to see, as I'm sure we all feel that way, when we see, uh, forgive the term, mainstream audiences go, what, what, but Spider-Man's dead. I, I, what's gonna happen now? And it's like, and I love all the nerd blogs. Here's how they can bring him back. And it's like, really? Come on, man. I, there's like dozens and, or hundreds of writers and artists that have been doing it a lot better than Jimmy's blog telling you how Black Panther could come back. These are the same people that believe Superman was going to die. Exactly. Well, you remember DC <laughs> had this idea out of desperation sure. to Absolutely. the death of Superman, which they had done a couple of times before. And they but only out. in imaginary stories. Really. Yeah, and, but they saw, okay, I, <laughs> you can tell the difference. But, uh, <laughs> but, but they do it on a slow news day. You know, when there's, they couldn't do it now. There's too much news, but back then, I guess, you know, 20 years yeah. ago, they could, they, the slow news day, so all these reporters, hey, the DC Comics is killing off Superman, and there's going to be no more Superman, and they put it out, and these idiots, you know, go out and buy all these comics, <laughs> and then, you know, and then, and then, of course, they're shocked, they think they're going to put their children through school by buying 100 copies of the death of Superman, you know? so it was great. In my research, I just realized that death doesn't stick. Right, and there's yeah. a lot of brainwashing. Those are the they two get better. Things, a lot of brainwashing. They get better. A lot of brainwashing. Yeah. Right, especially when people go down the aisle. Apparently, or something. You know, and they change their minds or something. You explore, um, and and sir, I will get to your question. You explore, um, you know, certainly his time at, uh, and I'm and now I'm blanking with Stryker and uh, and Weapon X. You know, the Weapon X period, the World War II period, as well as is, is yeah. certainly mentioned in there. Yeah, the Weapon in your X book. period, Winter Smith was hard. That was so difficult and um, because it, because the only way I was trying to wrap my head around like okay how do I write this in psychological terms and so I said okay it's the psychology of torture and and I had to do research of you know what is real like what actually happens and so every evening like I either needed a scotch or a Disney film afterwards you know I was just like this is this is not okay right like you know I am being taken to a very 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 dark place um, because there's a lot of atrocities that do occur. And um, I knew in my book that Weapon X and the X-Men chapter were going to be controversial. Um, and I can, I, I can talk about the X-Men thing too later on in a second. But um, yeah, Weapon X, I, I, that is probably my favorite series. Um, because the, it goes into like the, the subconscious mind, you know, and you know, even in his, you know, uh, uh, the state of him being, uh, you know, assaulted and victimized and, and being experimented on. He still he wanted to destroy them. You know, you see that yeah. rage there. And and his battle. And I and I have heard. And I also argue that the Weapon X program probably led to him to his great humanity because he was fighting against being controlled. Like he was fighting for his humanity. So I believe that you know, like he that that led to the ultimate dualistic nature of the character. Very cool, sir. You had a question. Um, I guess that kind of changed my question a little bit because I, I was curious what you made of that period, and maybe somebody could help me if I get some details wrong. But I think it's after he lost his adamantium when he is in this sort of bestial stage and. It's uh, Electra that sort of helps bring out his humanity. And that was something I was always curious about him, was that he's always found this appeal with uh, Japan and with very structured orders of either ninjutsu or samurai. Um, and he is sort of interesting in that he is like, 
if you look at like Plato's tripartite soul, he's mostly appetite and spirit. There's not a lot of reason. Um, and I guess, what is his appeal? Is it the structure of uh, those kind of codes of um, Japan? What, what is the appeal there for him? I can answer them. Yeah, yeah, I'd like to hear both I, of you answer that, actually. Um, I think it's the, the honor that, that he strives for. It's the code of honor and loyalty and discipline. Um, I, it, in my book, I also talk about his enemies. And I listed uh, Cyclops as one of them, only because, yeah, I mean, it's interesting, right? But I listed him as one because I, I think that he is envious of the discipline that Cyclops has and that he perhaps may never acquire um, on some level. Um, and so perhaps, you know, maybe the, the Buddhist nature of, you know, like balance or peace or so. So that, that's what I think. What do you think? What she said. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I, I think there is something to the structure. Well, able, being able to channel the rage mm -hmm. and, and, and the way that, a, that a, a great samurai warrior can go berserker when he needs to, but also, you know, keep it tight when he needs to as well. I wondered also, both of you, and I don't know, uh, Roy, if you've read uh, Greg Rucka's Wolverine run. Uh, and Susanna, I don't know if you've read his I run know. either. Sure. Okay, because yeah, I thought I thought he had a more introspective Logan, which kind of turned off some fans, but I found interesting and stuff. Give me give me the time call there, Pat. My glasses were not ten minutes. Ten minutes. Oh, you know, honestly, that's like right at six, and we want to give it, people a chance to come in and see the fonts. So I'm going to say five minutes actually, if that's okay, because you want to get people a chance to come in and What's the fonts. The fonts, Henry oh, Winkler. Oh. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. We're we're the opening act for Henry Winkler and everything. Yeah. So well, that's and also the romance thing kind of ran over because we went right till right till uh, five. But anyway, uh, um, please another question. Yes, John. I have a question. This book sounds very interesting. Where would I go to buy it and purchase it? Oh yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> Thank you. It's uh. What, the title. What's your name? Yeah. Exactly. John is. It's called Untamed. The Psychology of Marvel's Wolverine. You talk about Untamed. What's your name? Exactly. And it is found at Amazon or Barnes and Noble or any bookstore. Damn straight. I had a fight for this title. We were having this conversation because, and you could answer this question better, but um, my understanding is that uh, there's. Um, a derivative of the Greek language that, you know, it means like adamantium and it's, you know, um, so it's derivative of adamantium. Or adamantium is untamed or it's like strength or untamed. And so I had to explain that. Wow. Well, and, well, adamantium means like, you know, yeah, or unbreakable. Or unbreakable. The thing is, the, uh, well, it's important, um, maybe I'll just mention where the name came from since adamantium is such an important part of Wolverine. and you probably yes. you have it in the book. Absolutely. Right. Because you may have asked about it, but the thing is that Back when I was doing Avengers with uh, Barry Smith was uh, drawing a couple of issues that I doing it was the second Ultron storyline Ultron six of an infinite number collectible all and uh, <laughs> he uh, and I wanted to get a medal that would be the, the most that hardest medal you could possibly ever have anything else could only be you know break up against it and I needed a name. And I, you know, couldn't think. I'm not that good at names. I never liked the names I made up. You know, I choose a good one like Wolverine, but I wasn't that good at inventing names as Stan, Jack, and some other people are. But I remembered that I had been that in, back in the early '60s when I had it on my shelf at home. Uh, I had a particular English language translation of Aeschylus's uh, Greek tragedy, uh, Prometheus Bound. 
Oh, sure. And, and uh, on the very like, first page or so, there's also a couple of characters like Kratos and Bia, Force and Might. I made them characters of the Avengers later, too. And, and, and there's a line in there that Prometheus is brought up to be, you know, so he can be chained up here and his gizzard will be out eaten every day. They'll grow back and then they'll get it the next day. And, and there's talk and there's uh, uh, talk about that he's bound in adamantine chains. Now, I heard the word adamant, but adamantine, I hadn't seen that word before, before 62 or whatever I saw it. So suddenly it just came to me, adamantine, and then from that it just became adamantium. And you know, my greatest sorrow now is that they can't they can't use that in the Marvel Studios movies because it's kind of controlled, you know, it's stuck in the X-Men universe because it's all oh, funny. Well, because this is the one thing I thought I did better than Stan and Jack. I think adamantium is a better metal name than vibranium, but yeah. you know, they're both, they're both okay. Both oh no, absolutely. I'm pretty biased about the rest, but adamantium, I accidentally stumbled into something kind of nice there. Well, in case the merger doesn't go through it, I imagine eventually we will be using adamantium. Yeah, then they'll have a, uh, you know, vibranamantium or something. Well, you have to, yeah, well, you've got to test the metal against metal. Absolutely, come on. Foregone conclusion, absolutely. (laughs) Other questions? We've got about two minutes left, sir. Unrelated question to psychology. Uh, Since you did so much research in the Wolverine, like any of the other characters involved with him, like what's your next favorite? Um, stay tuned. <laughs> oh, is there? Yeah, there's another. There's another book. Attagirl. That's awesome. I'll tell you. Oh, and by the way, I'm also signing books here too. So. Excellent. Good. I'm glad you're going to be at Artist Alley. That's cool. No, that's great. Yes, please. Um, meeting the writers and the illustrators and the creators. Nice. Because that, um, you know, what I was going to say is very briefly about like, the, the X-Men, like where they meant to be in minorities or something. Here's what I would say to that, is that the, 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 the mind is very complex, and the subconscious mind is also very complex. So even if it wasn't conscious, it might have even been subconscious. And I think that, you know, writers and illustrators put, you know, their stuff, they project it onto their character, their characters. Of course, it's inevitable. Um, and so it was meeting them and meeting their stories. And also just, it, it's a different, you know, culture and, and being embraced in, in this journey. This has been the best part, by yeah. far. Well, remember, this, this is a, these are two characters that were totally created by a, a, a Jewish writer-editor and a Jewish co-plotter uh, artist. Uh, characters with secret identities, neither one of whom was using the name they were born with. I mean, you know, there's, there's got to be a lot of stuff in there. So the mere fact that they, whether, they, whether as I said, they recognized or were constantly trying to do it, but as somebody said, you know, and many people said, you can't write writing, you got to write something. And uh, so, so you, you dig into whatever you had, and I'm sure that, that some part of the, uh, the the Jewish experience probably that's one reason why it worked so well, maybe with uh, some of the Holocaust uh, stuff with um, Magneto and and, and uh, uh, Professor X, simply because you know because it, it, that came again out of the experience of the two people who really created the X Men between. Absolutely. That's great. You know, I'm going to wrap up because we want to, again, give people a chance to get to the next panel. The title of the book, again, Untamed, The Psychology of Wolverine. And they're both in Artist Alley. Check them out. Thank you. Thank you very much. And if you enjoyed this uh, level of conversation, I'll also come to woodbuilding.com and listen to some of these podcasts. I just want to say one thing. Please. I just want to thank you personally. 
for creating Wolverine and for inspiring millions around the world, and for, in my personal case, to help, in a very surprising way, creating a character that um, helped change me for the better. Well, to really accept that idea. All right, class is out. Great discussion. Susanna Flores and Roy Thomas on the psychology of Wolverine. Make sure you check out Susanna's excellent book. It's available now at Amazon, Untamed, The Psychology of Marvel's Wolverine by Dr. Susanna Flores. And, uh, of course, Roy Thomas continuing uh, to contribute at conventions and stories. Working on a new Conan. Outstanding. That's amazing. I love Roy. I'm really glad to have had this opportunity to have so many discussions with him in the last few weeks. And uh, John Cimino, our uh, our buddy, uh, Stretchy Hulk guy, as Art uh, Balthazar calls him, uh, v- responsible for uh, Roy's appearance at Terrificon and uh, making him available to Word Balloons. So we thank John for his involvement as well. I hope you enjoyed today's uh, Wolverine discussion here on Word Balloon. It was brought to you again by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Again, thank you, League, for your support. If you'd like to subscribe to Word Balloon, it's free. It will always be free. But uh, you're helping the cause by helping me out via Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash wordballoon. You're helping me get to conventions. You're helping me keep the equipment uh, going and uh, making these uh, conversations possible. So thank you for your support, League of Word Balloon listeners. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. There are a lot of great books with uh, Wolverine at InStockTrades.com. I'm leaning on some of my favorite writers like uh, Jason Aaron and Wolverine's Revenge Trade Paperback. This is a great collection. Uh, it's 42% off, $9.85. There is a lot of Daniel Way's Dark Wolverine run and Wolverine Origins run as well uh, that are available at 42% off for each volume of that. There's a great team-up of a Wolverine and Black Cat Claws. Uh, this is a collection that was written by Jimmy Palmiotti and Justin Gray. It was drawn by Joseph Michael Linzer, a great creative team. 42% off, $8.69. What else have we got here for Wolverine? Really great stuff here, I'm telling you. Just pages and pages of these books available at InStockTrades.com. There's the Essential Wolverine trade paperback, and this is a great collection featuring Larry Hama, Warren Ellis, Tom DeFalco, Chris Claremont, uh, John Ostrander among the writers, and uh, Dennis Cowan, Carrie Nord, uh, Linneal Yu uh, among the artists. It's 42% off, $11.59. There's a Rob Williams run on Dokken, Dark Wolverine, of course, uh, Wolverine's son. But uh, this is Rob Williams along with uh, Alessandro Vitti. And it's uh, 42 per, or pardon me, 50% off for trade paperback No More Heroes, $7.99. Uh, Wolverine Not Dead Yet. Warren Ellis, Lanille Francis Yu. Uh, that story is uh, 42% off, $7.49. Jeff Loeb and Simone Bianchi did Wolverine Sabretooth Reborn. The premium hardcover, 42% off, $14.49. So lots of Wolverine, lots of different writers have uh, touched him and uh, added to the mythology behind Wolverine. You can get tons of volumes at great prices at InStockTrades.com. Thanks for listening. Uh, more Wolverine, or I should say Wolverine, more Word Balloon 101 uh, coming up. This weekend, we also have the Black Panther panel uh, featuring Don McGregor, Christopher Priest, Afua Richardson, and Bob Almond. A tremendous conversation about uh, Black Panther, the history of Wakanda, what all of these creators have added 
to the mythology of the Black Panther. And that's going to be uh, our other Labor Day weekend volume of uh, Word Balloon 101. I hope this stuff uh, makes your travels on your Labor Day weekend that much easier. If you're chilling at the beach, catching some rays this weekend at your favorite barbecue, heading there and stuff, good conversation to keep you company. Uh, more coming into September starting next week here at Word Balloon. Can't wait to share with you more great Terrificon panels and also new interviews as well. Uh, it was a great week. If uh, you didn't notice, we also had uh, Bill Morrison talking about Yellow Submarine, Bongo Comics, Simpsons Comics, his work on The Simpsons, Futurama, and even the new Disenchantment, the new Matt Groening series that is available at Netflix, all talking to Bill Morrison, his involvement with Mad Magazine, tremendous conversation and also a look at the dc romance comics of the 1960s but also really talking a lot about uh, the editorial side of dc during the silver age barbara freelander who was a writer associate editor and editor she worked on the romance titles she worked on swing out with scooter or swing with scooter excuse me and uh, it was a great conversation with paul kupperberg and uh, really told you about the inner workings the madman era if you will of the 1960s of dc comics really great conversation. Two other word balloons that came out this week. I hope you check them out. Until next time, word balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions. Copyright 2018. Have a great Labor Day weekend.